It's good to be back in here with the grown-ups after having been a month uh, teaching the uh, lower elementary class, although I really enjoyed that too. But it's, it's good to be back here. Um, so I uh, spent the past week catching up on the podcast, listening to the lessons so that I could know um, what's already been said. Uh, we're working our way through First uh, Corinthians, and so I'm no, no need to rehash all of that stuff. There's three... Really, really good lessons already out there on the podcast feed for the first three chapters. But what I want to do this morning is um, I want to have you imagine what it would have been like to be part of that initial group of Christians in Corinth. Maybe, maybe you were a Jew, and the very first time you saw him was in the synagogue. Or maybe you weren't, and the first time you saw him was at the house down the street. He wasn't the best speaker, but there was something about his message that just grabbed you. And that message was this. There's one true God, and that God loves us. And he came to become one of us. He lived as one of us. And we killed him. But God raised him back to life, and he sits today at the right hand of God, and he's coming back to rule, and he's going to make everything right. You know, I have had this thought that the early church is kind of like an end times cult. <laughs> right? Like, they really believed that Jesus was coming soon. Like, days, weeks, months at the most. And, like, we've got to get ready for him. And nothing else matters. Everything else is completely out of the way because Jesus is coming. He's coming any minute now. We are preparing our lives for him. We're starting to get ready for life in this new kingdom. And then time passes. Months go by. Hadn't come. Then it's been a year. Then it's been a year and six months, and now the Apostle Paul is leaving. Which, that's good, right? Because we're that much closer to when Jesus is going to come and Paul needs to go to other cities and get the message out. We need more people to be ready. Then more time passes. And on and on and on. And slowly, over time, that concrete reality that Jesus is coming soon starts to become more of an abstract concept. And that's when it starts. The community begins to lose its sense of identity. But then, one day, this new guy walks into town. And he knows how to speak. Like, the way he speaks, it's, it's not like anything you've ever heard before. Every time he opens his mouth, it's just mind-blowing. Right? He uncovers new truths in Scripture that you'd never even thought of. He can convict you in ways that, like, never imaginable. And it's exciting again. And there's this new buzz, and you start to notice there's more people coming to our gatherings. People that, people that used to mock you for being part of that weird end times cult. What are they doing here? They're just here for Apollos. 
They're not really here for us. They're not really a part of us. We were here, the original group. We were here for Paul. We're still here for Paul. And all of a sudden now, in the midst of this losing a sense of identity, we've got something to fight about. Apollos versus Paul. That's not really what this is about. See, what happened over time, and probably even subconsciously, this community has begun to look for new ways to identify themselves. New ways to give them a sense of identity, to tell them who they are. And they begin... And so they begin to look for things and take positions. Imagine this, right? There's a group of them, they're, 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 they're at someone's house, they're eating dinner, and somebody stands up at the meal and they say something like this, Thank you so much to our gracious hosts for preparing this wonderful vegetarian meal. Of course, as Christ followers, we don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. In fact, I don't see how anybody that participates in that backwards, horrible, pagan ritual could even consider themselves to be a follower of Christ. And you know there's someone all the way over here at the other end of the table that's thinking, I had meat last night. And depending on their personality, they're going to react in a couple of different ways. One, they might just go, well... Maybe I don't really belong to this group anymore. And they slowly drift off to the outside. Maybe they're more passive-aggressive. And it's like, alright, I see what's going on here. Well, I'm going to invite a different group of people than these jokers, we're going to have steak night tomorrow. <laughs> or, maybe they just get confrontational right there. They stand up, hey, wait a minute! I thought we got to enjoy freedom in Christ. And you're going to tell me that because of some silly ritual, just some non-existent fake gods, that I can't enjoy a part of God's creation? What are you talking about? Fight. Argument. Conflict. And now, once people start taking sides, we start attaching names to the arguments, right? Now we, we try to defend and rationalize their position. Well... Apollos clearly taught us blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, but whatever. Paul said blah, 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 right? Well, Paul clearly has some issues because of X, Y, and Z. Well, Apollos doesn't know what he's talking about. And they're fighting, and they're fighting. It's this big battle that's Paul versus Apollos. But it's not. It's between these people in Corinth. People that, that think they've got it all figured out, that they, they know everything. They're beginning to have an overinflated sense of self-importance. The phrase that Paul uses a lot is puffed up. And he knows, Paul knows exactly what's going on here. Right? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, this is what he says. It makes little difference to me how you or any human court passes judgment on me. I even resist the temptation to compare myself to the ever-changing human standard. Although I'm not aware of any flaw that might exclude me from this divine service, that's not the reason I stand acquitted. The only supreme judge, our Lord, will examine me at the proper time. So resist the temptation to act as judges before all the evidence is in. When the Lord comes, 
He will draw our buried motives, thoughts, and deeds, even the things we don't know or admit to ourselves. He will draw them out of the dark shadows of our hearts and into his light. And when this happens, the voice of God will speak to each of us the only praise that will ever matter. See, he knows. And he knows that this conflict has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with Apollos. But he can use that, he can use these figureheads as a way to hopefully try to explain to these knuckleheads in Corinth what's really going on and what the real problem is. So he goes on. He says, right now, brothers and sisters, the best thing I can do for you is to apply these principles to the situation with Apollos and me. He knows there's no situation. Maybe, maybe we can show you the meaning of the saying, not beyond the things written. If you learn that, perhaps none of you will swell with pride because you fall into the seductive trap of pitting one against the other. Is there any reason to consider yourselves better than others? What do you have that you didn't receive? If you received as a, as a gift, why do you boast like it's something you achieved on your own? I gotta say, I'm really glad that we don't have this kind of division here within storyline. <laughs> I mean, this this is a really good community, and it's made up of really great people. People that are truly committed to the way of Christ. And that understand that we are all participants together in his church. We're not people that are just looking for a place to go on Sunday morning. We don't really attract those kind of people. I mean, mainly, like, we don't have a building. We, we have a part-time staff. We don't have a large budget so that we can spend on buildings and programs and things to enrich ourselves. We don't have any of that baggage that so many other churches come with, right? Here, men and women get to serve as equals. Here, people are truly free to be themselves in a way they could never be at another church. I mean, we're kind of a place where people come to recover from other churches. Like, we really know what it means to follow Christ. We are so much better than those other attractional churches. Whoops. Okay. So, I don't, use, I don't go around talking like this, but if I'm really honest with myself, I've thought it a few times. It's so easy. That's why Paul called it a seductive trap. Who do we think we are? And actually, that's the question. Where does our identity come from? The bickering, finger-pointing, ego inflation... Paul calls this empty words, powerless words. He says, some of you have put yourselves on pedestals and live like you are high above the rest. It's as if you assumed I would not return to confront your misguided pride. But I'm coming. Lord willing, I will be with you soon. Then I will know what power is backing those arrogant folks and their words. The kingdom of God is not a realm of grandiose talk. It is a realm of power. So tell me what you want. 
Should I visit you rod in hand, ready to discipline a crew of self-important people? Or should I embrace you, love you, and gently teach you as we celebrate the blessings of God together? Paul's ready to grab the whooping stick. (laughs) If necessary. The kingdom of God is not a realm of grandiose talk. It's a realm of power. Okay. So what is backing our words? Are they empty? Do they have power? Let's go back to the end times cult, right? We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of God, working to put the powers and principalities under his control. And he is coming back soon, where he's going to reign as king, and he's going to make all things right. Those are some words with power. Other words. Institutional, emerging, marginal, missional community. They're just words. They're not bad words. But if we're not careful, we can use them to puff ourselves up. Alright, so... Brainstorming time. How can we keep ourselves from puffing ourselves up? How how can we keep from being too arrogant? Not a rhetorical question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we make mistakes and we own up to it. 
great. all very good um, and I think I think the other thing to remember is to is to continue to focus on 
who we really are and what truly gives us the sense of identity. I was working through this lesson yesterday and uh, Henry came into the room. He really just came in to want to play video games. But I, <laughs> I, uh, I said, okay, so I'm working on my lesson. I want to know what you think. What, what do you think, like, of all the stuff that we do when we follow Jesus, what's the most important thing? You never know what you're going to get, right? (laughs) And he said, I think it's probably when we take communion and we think of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. It's like, that's pretty good. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) But I think that's right. I think that is a very tangible, reoccurring thing that we can do to remind us that the one that we serve, the one that's coming soon sacrificed himself, put himself below everybody else. Very powerful. All right, so this sounds like it's one of those lessons where we all learn that we just need to focus on the thing that unites us and just let all of the other disagreements and differences off to the side just be different. And we can agree to disagree, right? No. <laughs> See, the, the, the problem, I blame the Apostle Paul. 